Hello, this is Matt Brown, the worship pastor here at Glen Ellen Bible Church. You're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, March 19, 2023. Hey, everybody. I'm John Vanderbilt, the executive pastor at Glen Ellen Bible Church. Hi there. I'm Simone Halpin, the executive director of Naomi's House. And I'm Kelly Brady. I serve as senior pastor here at Glen Bible Church. Thank you for tuning in to the Next Level Podcast. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. <laughs> One weekend on madness. How are we doing? Mm. Sorry, Simone. All four Dang. of my final four lost. Are gone. All four. <laughs> I'm like, who wants to take me to Vegas? The best is like the columns online where it's like how many points you have, and then how many points you might be able to get, right? Yeah, yeah. And when the points you have is the same as the Ooh, points you might not be good. able to get, or just a few different. Yeah, it's, it's still been so fun. It has. It's, it's one of those wonky. things where like you cheer for your bracket or do you yeah. cheer for the upsets? I love the upsets so much yeah, more than gosh, if my bracket does well. I know. I'm cheering for everybody to lose. Yeah. Everybody with just everybody. E- every team. Every team. <laughs> I want double loss. A yep. and <laughs> M out the first round. That was rough. They're so terrible. Oh my gosh. Uh, I'm at the bottom of the G E B C bracket. You are. <laughs> He just found out. I'm just now like, <laughs> wow, what did I do? I took a, I took wow. a look at your bracket. It was like, Matt's, Matt's the, the only one that's got hope Come left. On. You, you are at the Houston. Top. Now Blake is ascending. Who did oh, he pick? Because he picked Texas. Texas. And, oh. and Grant also has Texas. Blake is ascending. Uh, but I'm at the top right now. I got a couple teams. Who'd you in. Pick, I did. John? I, I had, had Arizona and Kansas in the final. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're done too. <laughs> that was You're a toast. rough day. Who'd you pick, Kelly? I have no idea. I just closed my bracket. Yeah. I think I picked Kansas. Oh, they're done. Hey, Kansas State, my alma mater. Wow, they want they beat Kentucky. That's a like that's a big deal for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a really big deal, and first, it was a good game. First, like this is the f- only the fourth time ever I think that the four main blue bloods are not in right. the not one of them is in the Sweet Sixteen. Wow. So right, Duke, like North, Duke Carolina, North Carolina, Kansas, Kansas, and Kentucky. Yeah, did North Carolina even make the? No, yeah, and wow. then they said no to the NIT. They said well. no. They were yeah. too good. Yeah, I know. Oh man. That smells. So things are rough. <laughs> um, yeah, good good Sundays yesterday. Both campuses. John, you were up at Poplar. Yeah, I did right. not preach up there, but I was up there helping. We're doing a a bunch of work up at that facility, and yeah, can you give us a quick yeah, update? Yeah, um, paint on uh, paint is going on up there, so they'll finish painting the the main worship space, the sanctuary this week. And then uh, carpet will go in the following week over spring break. Wow. And uh, new screen will go up the week after that. And so new chairs will come in as well. It's going to be a great... We're really aiming for uh, Easter. We're going to do... We're doing a big push up there for inviting and um, getting ready for for Easter. going to do two services up there on Easter. Yeah. We need and, help um, getting the word out. If you're a listener and you have an interest in walking neighborhoods, we're going to hang door hangers on April 2nd between the hours of 1 and 3 in the afternoon. Um, yeah, yeah, it should be leisurely, just getting the word out, and there's lots of neighborhoods around the church, and we're just trying to make it known that the church is eager to receive people. Yeah, so it's exciting times up there. Dave Wigman preached up there. Yeah. I just watched it this morning. He did a great job. Yeah. and Worship was Singing was great. Um, worship service altogether was great. Um, Dave did a good job and good communion uh, time up there too. Who did so. communion? Alex did. Okay. Yeah. Was Daryl in worship? Mm-hmm. Oh, good. Yeah, it was good. Daryl is their pastor emeritus and ninety plus years old. He's a sweet soul, and I, his wife is suffering with an illness and mm-hmm. just trying to keep tabs on him. How he's yeah. doing? 
And, it was um, also very lively here, Matt. Yeah. Overflow. Okay, so overflow, I, I forgot series. to ask about overflow because yeah. in 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 the worship center, I mean it was there was nowhere to sit. Yeah, like, Grant was, texted me kinda when you know, everybody's showing up, he's like, It's packed in here, we gotta turn on the overflow. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know how many folks were out there, but um Yeah. The, great. The, All the college students are back from yeah, this is the first Sunday back from spring yeah. break. So and the singing was uh it was exceptionally Wow. It was really Good. fun. That's awesome. I was super. It's so fun to sit down front so you can hear people, the volume coming forward. It's super encouraging. Yeah. I heard, uh, I talked to some of our current elders who are in the midst of doing interviews. Yeah. Tons of interviews. We got a huge yeah. class coming in of new members. Coming That's in. So cool. so, yeah. Um, and uh, just some of the stories that they were sharing about those interviews and, how encouraging people have been and um, sort, of the, sort of the unique makeup of that group as well. And people feeling, um, I think, coming out of kind of the isolation period we were in, you know, a couple of years later now out of COVID and all that. Mm-hmm. People have found their way into the suburbs, found their way into the church, and it's, it's great. I'm, we have encur- first, I'm really encouraged. First batch of Poplar Creek folks joining the church, which That's is cool. fun. Yeah. yeah. Also, baptisms on Easter Sunday, we've got a number of folks lined up. So if you want to be baptized, Easter Sunday is an awesome morning to do it. Yeah, contact Big. the staff here and we'll get you in the queue. Yeah. There are three services Easter morning. At, so. uh, yeah, at Hillside Campus and then two up at Poplar Creek and no. baptizing at all of them. It's so fun. Cool. Outside at Poplar? In the lake? Yeah. <laughs> in the green, green marsh. Pond. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, gross. Um, no, we're really not going to do that. Um, all right, let's get into some questions. Number one, do you think people are still raised from the dead today? Why do you think God raises so few from the dead? Is it appropriate to pray for someone to be raised from the dead? I, I just jotted some notes down here. It's, it's interesting to note that there's no mention of prayer. So the question is it appropriate to pray for someone to be raised from the dead? There is no mention of prayer in the resurrection of Eutychus. Yeah. It appears Paul simply ran downstairs, threw himself on the young man, and when his body touched the guy, the guy come, came back to life. Oh. I, I'm not saying prayer isn't pivotal. I'm sure Paul was a man of prayer. Um, but there are. it's an interesting uh, interplay between prayer and kind of a command um, experience of, you know, there are several uh, deliverances in the New Testament, people deli- being delivered from evil, you know, demonic possession, and it's kind of a command experience. Where, so I just, I just thought it was interesting. One of the, the most, it still sticks in my memory, clearest day around this passage. I was doing, um, I was a college kid, and I worked up at Honey Rock at, at a camp for the summer, and I was a wilderness trip leader, and so you take kids out into the woods, and it's, you know, adventuresome and dangerous and all those kind of, kinds of things that the reasons you go into the woods to have fun and, uh, and to learn and be stretched and grow and challenge. And so you go through this training program, though. It's like, um, it's like a month long. Part of your training is, is uh, like a wilderness first responder or wilderness first aid training. And um, the man who was leading it was you know, we're teaching how do you bandage and how do you do all this kind of stuff? Well, and it was all day long and it was like the first or second week of the program. And I remember it was the last day 
and we gathered first thing in the morning, and he reads this this scripture, and he does this. Um, he says to one of the the students, "Hey, you know Seth or whatever, will you will you come forward and lay here on the ground?" And he reads this passage, and then he dramatically jumps on top of him, wraps his arms <laughs> around him, and he shows this example of. He goes, "Listen, when you're out there, if everything comes apart." And you've done everything you can, and you need to put, you know. Life is on the line. Life is on the line. <laughs> Jump on that body. <laughs> Wrap your arms around that body. I mean, people are like crying in the room. You know, this is this very powerful wow. experience. He's like, we don't know how God moves and, you know, and what might, have hap- what might be happening in that moment. And don't doubt the power of God was basically the... All right, I, I can te- I can teach you everything about bandaging a wound and somebody who's had a concussion and somebody who's fallen and how to and jump on a body. Yeah. But I, I, you know, ultimately life is in God's hands. Yeah, and it, this picture of Paul, you know, running down the stairway, mm-hmm. yeah, to find this, you know, and jumping on him and wrapping his arms around him to bring life back into him is just a powerful picture. It's an odd story. Yeah, but Two. it's good. No, that's all. Two, de- <laughs> two decades ago, I was attending a, a funeral at uh, what was then the Evangelical Free Church of Wheaton. It's now Compass. It's on campus of a church out in Naperville. And um, I arrived early. I hung out in the back. The pastor wasn't in the room anywhere. Uh, but the family was there and gathered. Time clicked off. I thought, gosh, where's the pastor? And uh, the room was now full after about 15 minutes. And the father steps to the microphone. And he says, I want to ask everybody, if you would, join me in prayer. I'm going to anoint my son's body and ask that the Lord raise him from the dead. Oh, no. Exactly. So I got up. so hard. I got up and I went and looked for the pastor. And the body's prepared for burial. Oh, he's in the coffin. Oh, Oh, man. No, that's so hard. So there's a lot of grief. There was a lot of, yeah, grief in the room. I went and looked for the pastor. He was... uh, getting ready and he was in a back office. He came forward. He did excellently. He walked down the center aisle, put his arm around the father standing at the coffin, had already mm. anointed the body with oil and was waiting for God to raise his son from the dead. Mm. And, the, and the pastor stood there in, in a very loving. gentle, yeah. loving fashion, just waiting with the father and then showed him to his seat and the service proceeded. I thought it was, thought it was powerful and beautiful. And yeah. Wow. At one level, you, the, the faith... Yeah. Of that is is powerful. At another level, it's the pain. It's, it's sad. It is difficult. Right? It's yeah. really hard. And I do think it's appropriate to pray for some to be raised from the dead, and I think it's appropriate to 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 pray that way because God has raised people from the dead. Mm-hmm. We believe the word is authoritative. Scripture is authoritative, and there are at least eight counts uh, of folks, individuals being raised, and there are several counts of. Um, large groups of people being raised. Uh, so, for example, when Christ was crucified, the dead were raised, and they walk into Jerusalem. If you read the account, it's fascinating. Um, and then I think it's um, we're directed to pray for people's healing. So I think we should, you know, there's no greater healing needed than the healing from death. And so we can do that. We can pray that the ultimate healing happens for people. Uh, and I, but I, at the same time, I think we need to realize Eutychus went on to die again. Mm. So did Lazarus, mm-hmm. who was raised in John 11. Lazarus went on to die. All these folks, these eight individuals, they went on uh, to die again. And so we await. So the question ultimately is, 
it seems? Why do, why do we think God doesn't raise more people from the dead? Why does he raise so few from the dead? And I think it's because there is a great resurrection ahead. Mm-hmm. Th- this is a taste. It's the appetizer. And the main course is coming uh, when all who are trusting in Christ will be raised to eternal life. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's, makes, go ahead. I was just going to say, it makes me think of people, you hear stories all the time about people who have heart attacks drop dead. Some survive like mm-hmm. that football player, Damar Hamlin mm, survived. Yeah. Oh, right. Right. But then you hear other stories of people, the exact same thing would happen and they don't survive. Yeah. Like it, they don't, they're not reassuscitated. Yeah. Whatever the word, what's the word? Resuscitated, anyway, yeah. resuscitated, not reassuscitated. Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> re, so, re. <laughs> so you can't explain that, right? Like you can't, you just have to, you have to make the, the choice to believe in faith that God has a purpose and why some people would survive that and some wouldn't. Um, and let me speak to the, I opened this up by talking about the command nature of miracles in some situations in the new Testament. You know, Paul didn't drop to his knees and, and prayerfully um, beseech God to, to raise this guy. He jumped on him yeah. and said, Hey, he's alive. And so I, um, I, I have experienced walking into a hospital room and being infused with faith. And I have experienced walking into a hospital room and not being infused with faith. My point is that if the Lord's going to do a miracle, faith is needed and he provides it. He actually provides the faith needed Hmm. to command in a situation or to pray in a situation. We think too often that faith is something that is our responsibility that we conjure up. But faith is actually a gift from God, mm-hmm. and very little is needed, that's the good news, to move mountains. Faith can be the side of a must, size of a mustard seed. Because the mountain is actually not moved by our faith, it's moved by the, the work of God. God moves mountains. Uh, and he, he utilizes our faith, so he provides the faith needed. And I just, Paul's you know making his way down three stories, and, and I'm sure he's, talking to God and God gave him the faith and it happened. So um, we can talk to what I, I often talk to God about the faith needed for ministry, the, today's works of ministry. And we all have ministry ahead of us today and we need faith to interact with our kids and our spouses and our coworkers and our fellow students. So I, I think it's important to be growing in our faith and talking to God about the need for greater faith. Yeah. That'd be difficult, man. Like what you're sharing about the father and I could see myself wanting to do that or doing that. But also trying to hold the tension of like faith and like, man, but my son is in the presence right Right. now. And, you know, we don't know 100% how time works after you die. Mm -hmm. But Jesus said, you know, to the guy on the cross, like today you're going to be with me in paradise. So on some level, instantaneously at the same, you know, after death, you will be in the presence of Jesus on some level. Yeah. And that's nope. got to be better than here. It right? is. Paul said as much. He said, it's, it's <laughs> right. better if I go, if, right. to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and that's better. Right. So I, I just wonder how, how I would do holding that, yeah. those two things in tension and, you know, what, what's my motivation for, a, for praying for my son? Yeah. You know, like, is that just a, a grief mm-hmm. thing? Mm-hmm. Is that a me thing? Is that, you know? Well, I, I, I do think it can be short-sighted to bring people back to the earth. And I'm not suggesting that that was the father's intent in right. doing Who that. Who knows, I'm just, right? Yeah. I'm just kind of parsing right. out like how I would 
trying to figure out how I would feel in that moment and what yeah, I would do. Yeah, I, when we went through um, Luke. <laughs> For 83 weeks? My bad. How could I forget? Uh, um, and the story of Lazarus, I think either I preached right before that or in it or something, or it was, that was a long time ago. The, the bulk of writing about uh, raising people from the dead and is that actually a healing miracle or is it a, um, uh, a reassignment to some kind of... Do, do you get, so like the real healing would be going to heaven. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> like full healing right. is, going to, he- is going to heaven. Yeah. And um, I don't know if you guys remember a few years ago, there was a girl who died of one of the pastors at Bethel Church out in yeah. um, yep. California. California. And it got really, um, it was really difficult because they were asking their congregation, they were f- refusing to care for and bury the, the, the body. Wow. The coroner or the local coroner had, had possession of the body or the funeral right, home. Right. And they had refused to... They were waiting to have the services. Yeah. Because they... They thought that their daughter was to be raised from the dead. Oh, wow. And it was a... And that we should have faith to pray for that. And I'm not knocking that family going... That's not my, my job. <laughs> but the, it was interesting, the amount of conversation about maybe you should be celebrating the fact that your daughter doesn't have to walk through mm. th- th- this earth. God, maybe, maybe God has spared her and healed her by bringing her to heaven. Yeah. Maybe this was merciful. And it, yeah, it was actually God, God's ultimate mercy. <laughs> if we believe in the hope of heaven. Yeah. Um, and I get it, right. I, I get it. There's worldly concerns and faith that we want to have. And there's hopes that we have for, our loved ones and all those sorts of things. And, and God isn't dismissive of those things. Um, yeah. You know, Christ listened to the cries of Lazarus's family and he was raised from the dead. Now I believe that wasn't just because his family was crying. I believe that there was something unique that God right. wanted to do in the life of Lazarus and in that community to bring people to faith. That's what the story th- that we have tells us. Um, but there's, it's interesting to think through what is actually more faith filled when we think about the raising uh, of the dead and how do we handle despair and depression and hope and celebration. How do we grieve with hope? Yeah, in those moments. Paul writes in Philippians 1 verse 23, I am torn between the two. Mm -hmm. I desire to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far, he says. Yes. Right. Yeah. All right, let's go to the next one. Uh, number two, you talked about Luke's intentions as an author to highlight Paul's work of encouragement. How did it work exactly, God inspiring Luke to author Acts? If we talk about the intentions of the author, aren't we undermining God's role in inspiring Scripture? No, is the short answer. We're not. Uh, the interrelation between the sovereign work of God in the world, in this case, in the world writing Scripture, So the interrelation between the sovereign work of God and the volition of man is a deep mystery. God is directing the events of history toward the conclusion of his choosing, that sovereignty. He's directing the events of history. And man is participating in a willful manner. We all got dressed this morning. We picked out our clothes. We exercised our will. 
So the will of man, the volition of man, and the sovereignty of God uh, are a mystery, how and to what extent they hold hands. And that's what took place in the writing of Scripture. Scripture was not dictated to humanity. Luke was not in a trance, as he wrote, with um, God moving his hand on parchment. No, but rather Scripture was breathed out by God. That's what we're told in 2 Timothy. And Luke uh, was led to write as he wrote. In fact, Scripture tells us how it took place. And I love the words of 2 Peter. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. So hmm. Peter denotes prophecy had its origin in, in the sovereignty of God. Then he goes on and says, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were, quote, carried along by the Holy Spirit. And who knows exactly what that means. So there's mystery in that, that being carried along. But let's be honest, that carried along, that work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is happening right now. It didn't happen only in Luke or the authors of Scripture. By God's grace, the Holy Spirit's going to carry us along today in, in similar fashions and lead us into conversations with people and to care for our children and our spouses and our coworkers. And so there's still this interplay between the presence and the power of God at work in the world and our will. I love this question, and I think that we need to wrestle with it. It's, it's important to understand that the same or similar, not the same, but a similar interaction is happening today as the Holy Spirit leads our lives. Mm -hmm. I, I'll give you a, a picture. So uh, when my children were little, let's picture them as preschoolers. They clearly had volitional power as preschoolers. They expressed themselves. They often dressed themselves. Uh, they had their preferences. Um, but I would tell them, hey, we're going to the store. And I would corral them into the van and we'd go to the store. So there, I had sovereignty over the household then, which I no longer have over my children. They're all adults, right? So I had sovereign control over these little people, but they had volitional power at the same time and they expressed themselves and they worked. So there's that type of interplay between our heavenly father and our work throughout the day. Mm -hmm. Instead of throwing a fit at the house, they can throw a fit at the grocery store. <laughs> and get what they want. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I think often when we read Scripture, think about Scripture, and we know that it, it applies to us, we often infer, infer that it is written directly to us mm. as, as though we are the audience always in mind. That's just the natural uh, way that humans read Yeah, we're things. so centered. Right. Yeah. Um, and so what we need to remind ourselves of is that it wasn't written to us at all. It was written for us mm -hmm. in God's design, God's plan, God's sovereignty. And I would make the argument that I don't know that Luke actually thought that this was going to be something that was going to be written for us necessarily. I think Luke was writing to Theophilus and was mm -hmm. telling him about what happened because he wanted to convince his friend of all that God had done. And, and I think he was, in some case, he was logging and recording the activities of Christ for history's sake at the same time. But we would be crazy to think that, I mean, can you envision the, your, your, the world 
2,000 years from now? <laughs> <laughs> totally. And people thinking about what you've written? I mean, come on, right? Yeah. And so um, we don't know for sure, but I don't think that God through the Holy Spirit was whispering to Luke, in 2023, mm. they're going to read your words. And sound just like that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just think we need to be careful with um, trying to make it all about us. Yeah. Looking at the author's original intent and then drawing truth that spans um, different cultures, different time, different, you know, is, is important. There's things that are written that that audience would, that we read and that audience would clearly know what they're talking about, even just in inference, right? Like, um, I mean, think of things that have happened in our world that we just have one word for and it describes, okay, here's a great example, COVID. Remember when COVID hit? It's like that one word describes a massive amount of stuff. Mm -hmm. So imagine if we were, if I was writing you a letter, Matt, and I wanted to convince you about what happened in Wheaton over this period of time. And I said, well, then COVID hit. You would know exactly what all that meant. Well, Matt would know that that meant a meteor hit the earth. (laughs) (laughs) In other words, who knows what future audiences would do? In 2000 years, they would maybe go, oh, what is that? Well, and then when you introduce slang into it, it gets even more complex. Slang and the use of Greek compared to our modern use of Greek and understanding all that. So I'm not saying that you can't understand this. It can be... Tread lightly is what you're saying. Yeah, but we just need to be careful about how we handle... I believe, you know, the Bible's not full... It has no error... Mm-hmm. It's in its original it, intent. It's it's in its original intent, and it wants to to speak to us. It has truth for us, um, but we need to we need to be careful on, um, you know, making ourselves removing the center it, right. Yeah, removing it. Yes, removing it from its original audience and context, mm-hmm. and making it all about us. Um, there's there's a great mystery that we are submitting to, right? Mm-hmm. That there's so much that we think we understand and then you study it more and then you really, you don't understand. <laughs> I mean, right. it's just a, um, there's a, there is definitely a mystery to how it all works and it requires a lot of faith to believe what you're reading and, and, and empowerment by the Holy spirit to interpret it. And the more I study scripture, the more I see its connectedness from beginning to end, you yeah, know, old beautiful. Testament to new Testament. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's intimidating, right, to study scripture from all the reasons that you just said. Like, I don't know the original languages. I don't know the original audience. I don't know. There's so much um, unknown about mm-hmm. scripture unless you are, you know, an expert or a scholar yeah. in it. And even those people would say there's still so much to know. But it shouldn't stop us mm-hmm. from trying, right? It shouldn't stop us from pursuing interpre- interpreting scripture, how it does apply to us, even though it isn't written to us. Mm-hmm. Um and embracing that mystery because that's for my personal testimony and walk with Jesus. The only thing that has strengthened my faith has been from studying scripture. That's good. And not the only thing there's yeah. lots of things, but that is the most significant it's essential. It's, yeah. yeah. I was l- literally, I hope this isn't too personal, but I was literally thinking no, the we, other day. If this is something you, yeah, we don't want to get real personal. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want me to say anything personal. <laughs> Nothing authentic. Yeah, right. Just be no, I was just, just thinking about how Maddie turns sixteen tomorrow hmm. on Tuesday, and you know, so fun. is that? Do you start like counting down? Like, yes. Holy smokes! It's feeling, <laughs> feeling it. Yeah, but like well, it's bittersweet. I miss, I miss yeah. right. You're happy right. and exactly. It's exactly how I'm feeling. Like I cannot wait for her to have the like 
the world, you know, yeah. I, she's ready in so many levels and then she's not. Yeah. And one of the things I literally thought was, I, have I ever taught her how to read scripture, how to study scripture? And I keep mm-hmm. thinking, isn't that, aren't I paying Kelly's Academy job? to do that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kelly's yeah, Kelly job? And yeah. school Come on, and church. all these things. And <laughs> anyway, I just thought we've talked about it. I've given her Bible studies. I've given her journals, all the things, but I'm like, does she really know? And then I have this relief. I'm like, I didn't know when I was 16 right. and somehow yeah. God or t- has or given me... Or 26 or 36, right? Right, 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 just, right. Yeah, yeah so it's know. just that balance of what do I teach her and then what do I let go and all these things. But just a study of scripture is so, it's so formative and it will just, you know, mm-hmm. it will it, it will minister to you depend, no matter where you are in the spectrum of how much you know and how much you don't know, right? It's a good yeah. word. One of my kids asked last night, why is it taking so long for Jesus to come back? Mm, Amen. (laughs) Because it seemed like things moved along a little bit quicker (laughs) until this recent era. (laughs) You know, and it's just, it's interesting. Which is funny because it didn't. Right. It just feels that way because you have the whole book and you're just flipping through it. Right, right. Yeah. It's just interesting what um, young people, I'm like... I didn't, you know, we didn't get deep into it because it was very late That's at night when they got home from, you it's know. It's a challenging question. Because they were wrestling with it in youth group, in their oh, small group. Their nice. kids were talking about, you know, that issue. What what does that mean? What will it be like? What will, what will happen? You know, all those sorts of things that when people are investigating scripture, they talk about. Yeah. And um, it's just interesting. It's th- those mysteries, right? Those, you know. Like there's been volumes and volumes of books written on it. The why, the silence, why hasn't there been any, you know. My favorite is why isn't the Bible four chapters long? Chapter one and chapter two, creation. Chapter three, the fall. Chapter four, the redemption. (laughs) And so God is much more uh, process oriented than we are. All right, right, let's go to the next one. Uh, This one is for Kelly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Spurs. And we're talking about spurs like a cowboy wears. Like the jingle, jingle, yeah. jingle. Spurs do draw an interesting picture to mind. How can we avoid being harsh in our desire to encourage? Yeah, it's great. Good question. Important question. It's important because we need to be aware of our motives and feelings when we're trying to encourage others. Um, I raised uh, an example of toxic masculinity, the locker room example. And I... I started that example off by saying I, I attended public school, and in both services I said, which I offer as um, a, uh, a comparative, I did not go to Christian school. So I was trying to make a comparison between how the men in my locker room behaved in a public school setting. Um, none of the coaches that I had in high school were believers, and so I was telling a story about how they tried to motivate us in some really unhealthy ways. and. Um, but that I, I loved it as a young person. I loved the call to fight and the battle. And I think that, that that's a reality for us all, that we, we are called to mission. And then I juxtaposed William Wallace to, uh, to the Apostle Paul and said, you know, Paul was no William Wallace, no painted face, no long sword drawn. But Paul was a proven, a, a, a proven um, force in, in New Testament life. And and someone we can learn from such that when he tells us at halftime, buck up, suck it up, buttercup, and get back out on the field. When Paul speaks the words to encourage us and, and continue on a mission, he can do that. And we can hear him with full authority. The man was beaten 
a total of eight times, five times whipped, three times with rods. And so when he speaks, I listen and I don't blow by the, the reality that, that Luke weaves this grammatical thread of Paul was encouraging folks. Paul was encouraging folks. And I thought, gosh, if Paul were speaking to me in my difficulty right now, I need to listen. He's a, he's, he's got grit. He's got tenacity. Um, he fought a good fight, ran a good race. So the toxic masculine examples aside, we do need people in our lives that are calling us to courageous action. And and we need to be careful that we don't lapse into being harsh because that was what happened in the locker room when I was a, a young guy. Um, they had confused masculinity as, I think, brutal in some, some respects. I'll be honest with you, some of the examples I gave were the soft side of the examples. I saw some really ugly things as a young man in the locker room and things I'd never want my kids to experience. So uh, we, we need to be godly in our encouragement and and avoid being harsh. And um, the, the biggest or the most powerful motivator in the world is love. It's actually not harshness. Um, it's not getting screamed at or things thrown at you. The most powerful motivator in the world is love. And so I'm less and less harsh as I'm more and more convinced that love's what, really what moves me to action and moves others. Uh, and it's, it's the demonstration of sacrificial love. How would you, so like in, in a halftime example, how would you flip it and say, this is how it could have been done just yeah. as effectively, more effectively out of love than out of yeah. harshness? Yeah. You know, I gave a talk at Wheaton College's football chapel. So Wheaton College has a football team and they have chapel every Friday. They actually don't practice on Friday, but they do team like group work and they have this chapel. And I went and spoke to the chapel once while my son was playing on the team. And the, the talk, the, the title of the talk I gave was The Biblical Theology of Butt Kicking. And the point of the whole talk was there is something to be learned from sports that teaches us how we need to live day to day in our marriages. And so in a locker room setting, I would in our marriages and at work and in life, in, in the necessity of endurance and perseverance. So at halftime, I would tell a team, if, I would tell young people, if, <clears throat> if you're thinking this is the only time you're going to have to buck up, you're wrong. This is a great opportunity to learn what will serve you well the rest of your lives. This isn't the last time you're going to be on your back yeah. with your hat handed to you. Learn to fight now. And, it, and there's a good fight to be had. There's a yeah. tenacity needed in following after Christ. There's a battle against fear in that example. Mm. A, a lot of times, right? Like yeah. just the fear that I'm not going to rise to the challenge. And it's so, not about winning or losing. It's about... So I've actually told my children, I've told them, you don't have to win fights. The battle belongs to the Lord. He decides who wins what battles but you have to be in the fight. You have to get off your back and get back up and get in the game. Whatever the game is, where it's, whatever it is, the mission you're called to, get yep. up and get at it again. 
Yes, Simone. <laughs> I don't know which. I don't know what to touch on. Um, well, so there's some well-known research that that we use at Naomi's house, um, particularly with staff and with residents around our strengths. And you are all familiar with the Strength Finders, finders assessment, I'm sure. But we operate best in our strengths, and uh, naturally we gravitate to fixing our weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And the research says if we focused more of our energy on doing what we do well, more of that mm -hmm. and less of our energy on always just trying to be better at what we're not good at, um, we'd actually have more productive or however you want to define that, but productive and thriving lives. And so that's just a secular research argument that if we actually just did, if we operated more in our strengths and just knew what we weren't good at, and we're able to set that aside, we would, we would probably find more fulfillment just in general. And so I hear an example like this and thinking I'm not motivated by people throwing things at me and, uh, and yelling at me. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> and I also think that, and I said this to you earlier that, you know, half your church are probably non-athletes and, and other categories that maybe also aren't motivated by that. And so I was waiting for you yesterday to kind of, just caveat some of the uh, how we can motivate people in love, focusing on what they're doing well mm -hmm. versus what they're not doing well. Mm -hmm. And of course, I thought of my own kids and what they weren't in the service yesterday. But um, like, what do we want to paint? What picture do we want to paint for them? And and Paul had all the things you listed: grit and mm -hmm. tenacity and he was probably rough around the edges, you know, I don't know. He laid on someone to bring him back to life. I mean, he was, there were some strange things about him, but I also think we see a lot of examples of him being tender and thoughtful and a good, a good leader. And it wasn't because he was throwing things at people like yeah. the way he encouraged was, was out of love. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know, I don't want to go on forever, but the idea of masculinity having to look a certain way, especially in a locker room. I just feel like there has been some really bad things that have come out of locker rooms and locker yeah. room talk. Yeah. And I, I just don't want my kids to think that. or That's, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Or that like, um, this is what masculinity looks like. Mm -hmm. There's an exception. I think mm -hmm. that's what, I think that's what I'm trying to, to say that behind closed doors and in a locker room, kind of anything goes. And I know that's not what you said yesterday yeah, by yeah. any stretch, but I also want to be careful that that's not what was implied or heard yeah. because yeah. that's not. Yeah. The need the for message. courage, encouragement, mm -hmm. the need to be encouraged, to find courage, to help others find courage. Uh, we do that life on life mm -hmm. and we find encouragement at one point in the sermon, I said, sitting in the locker room, we inevitably ask ourselves when we we're down by 30 at the half, does the coach, has he been through what we've been through? Mm -hmm. And I said, we can without a doubt know that Paul has been through what we've been through. He's faced the worst. He's, he's had his back against the wall, riots and whatnot. And we can hear from him encouragement. And, and I, not everybody responds to the, um, the force of, let's go, climb the mountain, we can do this. Um, but everybody responds to some degree of life-on-life life encouragement and where to play that role in one another's mm -hmm. lives. I think people respond to, let's go, let's climb the mountain, but not in 
a way that is like I'm throwing things at you and yeah. using yeah. you uh, using grotesque or like profanity language to get you there. There's a difference. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. I think it's powerful to talk about when in encouragement, just generally. And I would use this this metaphor or this uh, what I'm going to say to any context. The I think the way that you express it in love is to talk about that the person isn't living up to who you know they can be. Like some of the most powerful, and I played lots of sports and had good and bad coaches, but one one of and some of my best coaches were those that at the halftime said, "Guys, you you've put the time in." I've seen you do better. You've worked so hard and something is going on in this first half where you're not achieving what I know you're capable of. And I love you guys so much. I want you to function at your, at, I know what you're capable of. And you're letting yourselves down to one degree because I know you can, I know you can, you can make that, that pass or you can, you can make that run because I've seen you do it before. And some, whatever's going on that's keeping us from reaching our potential, I love you so much, I want you to, to achieve it. And that's applicable to any scenario. You know, when your kids are failing at their homework, not doing what they're supposed to, or whatever the scenario is, like, I love you so much. I want you to experience the joy that you have. And, the, and this goes to this. The, everybody on that field has the strength, we would hope, <laughs> and the desire to be in that, on that field doing that sport. You know, those who don't have it have been weeded out at this point or whatever it is. And um, you know, I think that that's true. Your potential is so much higher than what you're, what you're functioning at right now. And there may be lots of reasons for that. And, you know, and some days you just don't have it and all those sorts of things that happen. But this idea of, um, you know, going ballistic is way more about the coach than it is about the player. Yeah. And, and I think that's sometimes what we, what we see is, um, you know, some of the, we talked about March Madness, but some of the most beautiful moments of March Madness are the calmest coaches who celebrate their players mm -hmm. and say things like, I knew they could do it. I knew they could do it. And I just have been telling them they're capable of it. And it's stupid basketball. But think of that message mm -hmm. to somebody in faith where we say things like, I know what you're capable of in faith. I know, and not performing, but giving your life to, to Christ or, you know, whatever it is, you're, you can do it. Christ is in you. The Holy Spirit's empowering you. Trust it, believe it, you know. I think those are the messages that Paul, endure, persevere, because mm -hmm. you have the Holy Spirit with you. You're capable of it. Yeah. I also think that there are a lot more losers in sports than there oh, are winners. How do you lose? Right. Is the and most that's what I'm saying. Like the goal isn't to win. The goal is to, to I don't want to use the word perform. I think that's what I'm struggling with. Is yeah, like I don't want this to come across as yeah. like there's some sort of perform, performance and punishment relationship. And hmm. that's not right, what right. we're called to in I, Christ. Right? And so that's why the sports analogy sometimes just like, yeah. it's not, ex you know. Well, it's the, uh, some of the best coaches are the ones that say, hey, if we go 0 and 20 yeah. and we have no regrets, regrets, I'm happy. Yeah. But, the, but, but the, if you're regretting yeah, it. The call is to faithfulness, yes. not success. Yes. Use, use your yes. abilities yes. to the That's best why of I say ability. it's not even within our control to decide who wins and loses on the sports field. There's mm -hmm. so many things outside our control or in life. Mm -hmm. 
So the call is really to faithfulness. Right. I close the sermon quoting Glenn Eggert, the, one of the yeah, best encouragers I've ever so met. That was so good. Just the notion that when we encourage someone, there's there are it's a spiritual transaction taking place. It, there's a prophetic element, uh, uh, an element in which we're calling people out of darkness into light, and so much can tran can can translate for us in that this call to as John was saying become all that God has made us to become Mm -hmm. that's good yeah that quote lead people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light because of encouragement that was good that was really powerful I also I put I wrote a note on here and I think that often what you're talking about Kelly and we need to be encouraging each other you know I think um often people default to wanting to be the spurrer, mm. <laughs> the one wearing the spurs. Like that's a, a role. That yeah. People, I'm going to, cor- rather I mean, than spurs, getting spurs, <laughs> spurs have an element of correction. I think you sure, said that sure. on Sunday. It's a, in a, in a intense situation, the spurs go on because the we room for air is, yeah, yeah. And there's this corrective element, you know, stay here, stay here. And I think people, default to, I love to wear the spurs and I'm going to look for people to correct, right? Versus saying, I actually need uh, somebody to spur me <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, if you're always taking the role of encourager with spurs and, you've, and you're not taking the role of, um, I need spurs in my side yeah. every once in a while. Yeah. Um, I think of Paul. I mean, you use the example. You know, Paul had grit. Paul went through these things. Well, I think I think Paul was also corrected and spurred in several situations from Christ directly to say, "Hey, don't be afraid anymore. Mm. Keep speaking. Don't be silent." That's a that's a spurring mm. of Paul by Christ in in Corinth. And I think the people he was with probably were saying some of the same mm. things. Yeah, right? I love the work you did around Paul and how he, you know, he probably was fearful. Yeah, and enrolled into town very weak mm-hmm. and double double thinking or thinking yeah. I mean, maybe I'm not fully in here and, and Christ shows up and encourages him yeah. so and I would think the his I think the people um, where I think the next question gets into this a little bit but um, the people that Paul was with in that passage I think were people that were going to spur him on mm-hmm. and he was going to spur as well the confusing names that are hard to pronounce, some of them. Secundus. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's go to the last one. Do you think that the American church needs encouragement or rebuke? <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think it's, I, it's probably not an either, uh, either or. I think they both are needed. Yeah. I, and it, it's hard to paint with a brush, broad brush. I mean, there's the urban church, there's the suburban church, there's the rural church in America. There's just all types of demographics. Um, so it's it's hard to paint with a broad brush. Uh, there's the evangelical church. There's the mainline church. You know, you know, who are we? That's but, why I'm, my shtick is the American church is really a hard. I don't think a healthy thing to talk about necessarily as like, I've got a message for the American church and we see these figures jump up and we see these people say, I've got this trans, you know, um, trans church message for the entire body. And this is the beauty of the, of the local church meeting 
in local neighborhoods with people from that community and under the leadership of elders that I think Paul had set up that model in a really specific way. And I think Paul communicated individual messages to individual churches in what they needed. Thessalonica, there's a different word to the Thessalonicans as there is to the Corinthians, as there is to the Ephesians. I mean, Paul. Yeah, the the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, you get kind of a a sense of how God knows each church uniquely. Right, And speaks a word to it. And so I just as... There's seasons that our church needs rebuke. Our church right here, meeting in Glen Ellen, meeting in Bartlett, needs... Um, rebuke, and there's seasons where we need encouragement, and our church may need rebuke at the time when a church in Philadelphia needs encouragement. Mm. And so, to you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I just Dave did a really good job in his sermon talking about how, despite our diversity, there's a lot going on in the church. Despite our diversity, we we find unity in Christ. And uh, I thought he did a good job. Yeah, the unity found in the body of believers is one of the most powerful witnesses to a watching world. Through faith in Christ, not right. just political unity right. or economic unity. It's um, We're unity. not uniform. Right. The unity. But we are unified. Right. That people from different backgrounds and political blocks and socioeconomic status, all the things that the world divides us on are overcome in, in the church. And the church can be an example of people having unity, again, not uniformity, but unity in Christ, even though they are, they should be divided on all these other things out there in the world. Yeah, Dave did a good, I was at P- PCC listening to Dave, and he talked about the, the characters, um, the, the people that Paul had listed, and, you know, Segundus means second. It means low, and um, the difference between the people and that some would have been highly educated and probably wealthy and others were not. And they were walking with Paul doing ministry, carrying the, the funds to bring back to Jerusalem and um, the unity that was present in that. I thought Dave did a great job talking through some of that. All right. Well, that's all the questions we have for you today. If you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text Next Level Podcast 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that Scripture is a primary means for our getting to know Him. And our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to The Next Level. Boom! Prophecy.